it's so great to see Bruce and Bree, and we'll continue to be praying for them and look forward to seeing them uh, when we can see everybody back here in the building. Thanks for your patience with us this morning, friends, with our technical difficulties. Um, why don't we pray, and we're going to spend some time thinking about Genesis 16 and 17 together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to connect with one another, albeit remotely, but to sit and to spend these, these minutes in your word. And we ask that by your spirit, you would help us to understand your word, to treasure it, to accept it, and to build our lives upon it. And we ask that you would do this for us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I wonder how you're uh, feeling about your short-term plans. What are your short-term goals right now? Uh, I was kind of stopped in my tracks this week when I was reading a book that kind of blew my mind on this, and it could just be the circumstances, but I don't think so. Uh, I'm sure, like me, you're struggling to think through the days. Uh, never mind September, never mind Christmas, um, how do we plan so far ahead with so many unknowns? What's the point? Planning out the day is hard enough. Go for a walk, do some work, listen to Gladys, eat some food, enjoy the chaos, go to sleep. Not necessarily in that order. Uh, and so I'm sitting there reading these words on the page about short-term planning, thinking, yeah, right, as if. And the sentence continues and smacks me in the face. The short-term plan of your life, say, 75 years or so. What's your 75-year plan? Your short-term plan? And the reason the writer pointed me in that direction, a short-term plan of your life in, these wor in this world, <clears throat> with those words that deliberately take me beyond the end of my life. Trying to think how I spend my time now impacts my children and those around me for years to come. You see, the Bible's perspective is that long-term planning is to think about eternity, which God has set in the hearts of people. The Bible says to keep your eyes fixed on the long-term future of belonging to Jesus and enjoying Him forever. And so the short term, which is however many decades you might be given on this earth, the short term plan, the Bible says, while we wait for eternity and belonging to Jesus forever, is to pursue holiness and Christian maturity while we wait. And the reason the Bible says that should be our short term plan is so that our life now might be connected to that long-term eternal life that Jesus so graciously gives us. And you want the short-term of this life to be connected to the long-term of eternal life in order that you won't squander your inheritance and shipwreck your faith along the way. The short-term plan of the decades of this life Pursue holiness and Christian maturity in a way that will impact you, your children and those around you even after your life in this world is finished. 
Because the reality is, the question marks that we currently have over September and Christmas, do they really stop me pursuing holiness right now? What is it about the chaos of my day that means that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control aren't on the table? How is the lockdown stopping me from pursuing those things? Or is that just an excuse? You see, even in the midst of walk, work, Gladys food, chaos, sleep, I can still pursue growth in holiness and Christian maturity as I walk this journey of life. The journey to life, which we keep saying week on week, is the path of faith. And the journey to life, which is the path of faith, that we're helped on through the story of Abraham and his wife Sarah and the global family of faith that God has promised through them. Galatians 3 calls Abraham the man of faith. And Romans 4 calls Abraham our father in the faith. And yet, I wonder if you've been struck with me about the way in which, at so many points along the way, Abraham provides us a great example of what not to do when it comes to the the path of faith. It's not all rock-solid trust and unwavering commitment on his part, is it? As the late D.G. Barnhouse wrote, no perfect feet have ever walked the path of faith. No perfect feet have ever walked the path of faith. Like you and me, Abraham and Sarah's faith can seem a little up and down, to say the least. And so the Bible keeps pointing us back in the midst of their doubt and the midst of their fear and in the midst of their stumbling and bumbling. The Bible keeps pointing us back time and time again to the unwavering faithfulness and the rock-solid commitment of God to His promises. That's the solid ground that we're encouraged to stand upon. That's the safe place to look to and to cling to in this journey to life on the path of faith. And so once again, we have that happening in chapter 16 and 17. We see the shaky faith, the negative examples of Abraham and Sarah contrasted with the rock-solid commitment and faithfulness of God. And so here on the screen next to me you can see the encouragement that we're unpacking together this morning is this rather long sentence. That the path of faith calls us to wait with patience in God's plan, being comforted by His presence and delighting to walk in His ways knowing that He is yours and you are his. We're just going to take a chunk at a time. Firstly then, from chapter 16, we wait with patience in God's plan. Go back with me and have a look at chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai had said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. 
Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. You see the problem in chapter 16, we're a decade in and there's still no child. That was God's great promise. You will have children and you will have children as as many as the stars in the sky. But Sarai's like, we don't even have one yet. It was an audacious promise 10 years ago to an elderly couple that you would give birth to a son. Surely I can't be the one who bears the child of promise, Sarah thinks, 10 years down the track. We need a different plan. Or at least we need to help God along with his plan. And this episode has a deliberate parallel, I think, to the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden questioning the truthfulness of God's promises, the goodness of God's word and his plan, and seeking through their own wisdom to short-circuit, to shortcut, or to improve upon God's revealed will. And like Adam, Abram passively joins in with the disobedience and husband and wife sin together instead of trusting God together. Hagar had no doubt joined Abram and Sarah back in Egypt in chapter 12. And while the suggestion that she sleep with Abram in order to bear the child and become another wife for him, we know from cultural sources that that's a common occurrence, that's a perfectly acceptable cultural reality, Uh, that's something that was happening a lot, particularly because of the importance of children, because of the continuation of family lines and livelihoods, even though it's something that was culturally attested to and common practice of the day, do we see anywhere in God's Word that endorses such a practice? That can make that fit with what He said about His good purpose for men and women in marriage and family? Despite the cultural occurrences of the time, the scene we have here looks and feels a lot like adultery. If it walks like adultery and quacks like adultery, it probably is adultery. Abram sleeping with Hagar and seeking the child of promise through her instead of his wife Sarai, it not only breaks God's good design for marriage and faithfulness, it resists his explicit and revealed will in his spoken promise of a child and a family through Sarah. And with Abram and Sarah, we too can get ourselves in a mess like this, steering ourselves to the rocks when we stop taking God at his word and we try to wrest back control of our own lives and the trajectory of our own stories instead of trusting his plan and his explicit and revealed promises, his will that we have in his word, the Bible. You see, a decade in, and it can feel like waiting 
is just too hard. And I'm sure that you, like me, have found that at many points along the journey to life, which is the path of faith. Trusting what God has said in his word about what makes for a life of faith, what makes for a good life in his world, pursuing holiness and Christian maturity, sometimes, maybe often, at the expense of comfort, at the expense of ease, at the expense of the desires of your heart, at the expense of what feels good, at the expense of what you're attracted to or who you're attracted to. And the challenge as we wait is to trust in God's promises and call on God's spirit that we might have the patience and the self-control that is the fruit of his spirit in order that we might patiently wait and trust that he is good and his timing is perfect. And if we need to wait for 75 years or more, We need patience for decades, not just days. Then we need to think about how much real estate his promises and his word and his love are given in our mind and our hearts. Are we giving over the real estate of our mind and our heart and our lives to TikTok influencers and Insta reels and blog posts and podcasts more than we are the promises of God? and the goodness of his explicit and revealed will in his word. Then if you're going to wait with patience and perseverance for the Lord Jesus and entrust the short term of these 75 to 100 years to his eternal life with him forever, then when you feel confused or frustrated or bitter in your walk of faith, We need the habits of returning to God's word and his people and his spirit more than we turn to the Reddit thread or the online shopping sale for relief and for comfort. But here's the thing, I think waiting with patience in God's plan, even through suffering... comes with that, the comfort of his presence along the way. And we see that with Hagar as she flees in verses 7 to 16. Abram and Sarah and Hagar, they're now in the mess of their own creation. Instead of speeding up God's plans, instead of creating a a shortcut to his promises, they've instead entered into a life situation of mistrust, of mistreatment of a mess that sin creates. Hagar flees the unpleasantness, understandably. She wants to get out of the jealous household, maybe downplaying her role in the misery itself. But what I want us to see in the rest of chapter 16 is how graciously God seeks after this Egyptian slave girl. She's a foreigner who doesn't belong by rights to this family. 
She's not the recipient of the promises and her people will historically be the enemies of God's people. But here is God doing what God does in the midst of mess, in the midst of unpleasantness, in the midst of sin and suffering. He comes close to the downcast. He comes close and seeks after the suffering outsider. Hagar is afraid and she's lonely. She's tired and worn down. She feels used and discarded. Verse 7, God finds her. And verse 11, God hears her. And verse 13, she says, you are the God who sees me. And remarkably, knowing that it is God who finds her and it is God who hears her and it is God who sees her, that comfort in God's presence is what will enable her to return to the circumstances of suffering and endure them because of God's comforting presence and his provision. God says to her, you need to go back. All too often we think, when presented with suffering, that God's answer is to withdraw us from that suffering, to remove us, to fix our circumstances. But more often than not, God's call to us is not to remove us from suffering, but to be with us in suffering. What he calls for Hagar to do is what we hear in 1 Peter about slaves suffering unjust treatment and bearing up under it, not condoning the mistreatment, not condoning the misuse of people in a household, but calling people in the station that they find themselves in to be conscious of God and entrust themselves to Him even or most especially in suffering. But you see, the call from God to endure suffering is not one that is just indiscriminate. He he knows that it's in the midst of suffering that we are more likely to call upon Him and depend upon Him and be comforted by him. I was uh, struck again this week, Johnny Erickson Tata is someone who I have found encouraging and strengthening as I've watched her example of trusting the Lord Jesus my whole life. Having spent decades learning what suffering teaches about the character of God and the promises of God and the hope of eternal life as a quadriplegic, spending decades paralysed and yet used powerfully by God. Decades and decades she has learnt the lessons of suffering and yet this week I saw, ironically on Instagram, a video of Johnny Erickson Tata sharing again that she continues to need to learn the lessons of suffering. 
that in the midst of suffering, God's mercies are close by because it's in the midst of suffering that we're driven to the open arms of the Lord Jesus to find comfort and reassurance and rest for our weary souls. And Johnny shared this week that maybe I wouldn't be so inclined to run to the open arms of the Lord Jesus if it wasn't for my suffering. So as we wait with patience in God's plan, we can be comforted by his presence as well. Knowing as he demonstrates to this young slave girl, Hagar, I have heard you, I have seen you, I have found you in the midst of your suffering and I will be with you. And so as we wait and are comforted by his presence, we can delight to walk in his ways knowing that he is ours and we are his. And we see that once again in chapter 17 as the the pattern is repeated, that Abram and Sarah show that the fickleness of their faith and their stumbling and bumbling along the way and God doesn't say, okay, okay, I need a new plan or I've picked the wrong people or I need to start over. No, time and time again, God reaffirms his promises and reestablishes his commitment even as he continues to call for them to trust him along the way. Have a look at chapter 17, verse 1 with me. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. So no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. It's remarkable, isn't it, that God doubles down on his promises, solely undertaking the obligations of his covenant. We're 24 years in and God's promises have not been fulfilled yet. As he continues to call for them to wait patiently and to trust faithfully. God doesn't say 24 years in, Oh, okay, let's change course, let me start over, let me clarify what I meant was. Oh, God says, yes, what I said is what I said, and what I said is what I'll do. Not only that, he expands and deepens what it means. Abram, the father, becomes Abraham, the father of many. 
and the, the covenant that he makes will become an everlasting covenant and the people and nations that will come from him includes kings that will come from him. And he makes that promise, that extraordinary promise, that God's good created purposes for this world and people in his world established from the beginning that sin interrupted and that we long to enjoy in all its fullness in the new creation. I will be your God and you will be my people. A promise echoed so many times throughout the Bible as the great goal of trusting God and being recipients of his promising purposes that you will belong to him and be known by him and be the recipients of his grace and his fatherly care under the eye of his goodness and his provision even at the very end of the bible in revelation 21 as the new creation is ushered in what is the great promise and the great goal to which everything is moving, that we want the short term of our life to be connected to the long term of eternity, what is the great goal, Revelation 21? That God dwells with his people. And we hear that promise once again at the end of the Bible, he will be our God and we will be his people. As God establishes this covenant, his commitment to to Abraham, he gives him a sign that is very starkly committed to the promise of children, the sign of circumcision, where Abram is to be reminded time and time again in seeking to fulfill God's promises that he belongs to the promise-making, promise-keeping God, the God of the covenant. And for all God's people leading up all the way through the Old Testament, that sign of circumcision continues to remind them of God's faithfulness and His promises and what it means to belong to Him. And for us who have been brought into the new covenant through the Lord Jesus, God doesn't call us to this outward sign of one part of our bodies being circumcised and cut off and set apart in order to belong to him but as Colossians chapter 2 reminds us our whole bodies all of our sinful nature is to be cut off and cast aside as we're circumcised not by human hands but by Christ and being united to his death in order that we might belong to his covenant family his covenant people in order that he might be our God and we would be his people. In Jesus and his death you were also circumcised, Paul says, with a circumcision not performed by human hands, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, being united to his death and having been Buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He 
He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, taking it away, nailing it to the cross. Circumcised not in a little piece of our body, but being united to the death of Jesus and having our whole selves cut off and given new life, having been raised with Him and seated in the heavenly places, having received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus that we might know that we are His forever. means that we can, t- can continue on the path of faith with great patience and perseverance in God's plan, knowing where He is taking all things, being comforted by His presence in His Word and in His Spirit, knowing that we have been raised with Christ and delighting to walk in His ways, to grow in holiness, to seek Christian maturity, even in the midst of suffering and uncertainty, even in the midst of work and sleep and gladness and chaos, even in the midst of all the unknowns and our inability to plan and think to the future and the frustrations and the limitations, we can walk the path of faith with patience and perseverance knowing that we have been joined to the Lord Jesus by faith, that He will be our God and we will be His people because He has triumphed in His death on the cross and His life-giving resurrection. May God give us patience May God comfort us with his presence and may God enable us to walk in his ways with holiness and maturity for these short decades knowing that he is ours and we are his forever. Amen. Let's sing again.